Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 2nd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Florida, the current epicenter of U.S. coronavirus infections, reporting record hospitalizations. More patients receiving medical care there than at any point during the pandemic so far. With vaccinations rising, there's new guidance for millions of pregnant women hoping to get their shot as the FDA doubles its efforts to ensure full authorization for the nation's three coronavirus vaccines. And on Capitol Hill, a bipartisan group of senators delivering a massive infrastructure bill. But not everyone is happy with the end result. With the White House watching, can that plan survive a vote in the House? This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The COVID-19 crisis here in the United States continuing. Most counties across the country now considered a high transmission area as the nation reports more than 100,000 daily cases for the first time since February and as many children prepare to go back to school. The debate over masks in schools is intensifying. Lauren Cáceres has the latest. The U.S. taking big steps in the wrong direction, reporting on Friday more than 100,000 cases, the most since February. Cases have gone up about fourfold in the last couple of weeks. We're pushing up towards 100,000 cases a day now, and particularly so in those hot spots where vaccination rates are still quite low, maybe 30 uh, percent. That would be Missouri and Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, Florida, and those are areas of deep concern. Florida is now officially the new epicenter of infections in the country, accounting for nearly 20% of all cases nationwide. The state reporting on Friday more than 21,000 new cases, the highest single-day increase since the start of the pandemic. The state has more than 10,000 COVID-19 hospitalizations. This hospital in Central Florida treating more than 1,000 patients, canceling all non-emergency procedures to free up resources. That will allow us essentially to convert what uh, has been, for example, preoperative areas into beds and to areas for, for uh, inpatient care. And that also will allow us to get the staff that normally would be uh, dealing with uh, elective cases as part of that inpatient care team. Meanwhile, the governor threatening to withhold state funding if schools implement a mask mandate. Why would we have government force masks on our kids when many of these kids are already immune through prior infection, they're at virtually zero risk of significant illness, and when virtually every school personnel, uh, personnel, they've had access to vaccines for months and months. But in Louisiana, where hospital admissions have gone up 500% in the last month, it's not just adults getting sick. This hospital in Baton Rouge has now 11 kids hospitalized with COVID, six in the ICU. We're seeing more children who are sick. Uh, it's literally twice the amount of children that we're seeing hospitalized than we were during the original surge. Arkansas also seeing more severely ill kids. Children's Hospital reporting the most pediatric patients since the start of the pandemic. 
Oh, absolutely. We've seen that multiple instances where they wish they now they wish they'd gotten their their child vaccinated. More than 76% of counties are now reporting high or substantial transmission rates. Dr. Anthony Fauci warning things will get worse, but optimistic the vaccines will help prevent an emergency situation. I don't think we're going to see lockdowns. I think we have enough of the percentage of people in the country, not enough to crush the outbreak, but I believe enough to not allow us to get into the situation we were in last winter. But things are going to get worse. In D.C., masks are now mandatory indoors regardless of vaccination status. And in New York, the governor today announcing all public transit workers will be required to get the vaccine or get tested weekly, encouraging private businesses to take their own measures. I believe it's in your business interest to run a vaccine-only establishment. Grow vaccination rates are also rising slightly. On Saturday, we saw for the fifth consecutive day more than 700,000 shots going into arms. Right now, there's almost 165 million people in the country completely inoculated, and almost 70%, 69.9% of adults have received at least one dose. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. In other coronavirus news, two leading groups that represent OBGYNs are recommending for the first time that women who are pregnant get vaccinated against COVID-19. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine said their recommendation is evidence-based since thousands of pregnant women have now been vaccinated safely. The CDC has not identified any safety concerns for pregnant people who were vaccinated or for their babies. Neither association recommends one vaccine over the other. So far, the vaccines appear to be equally effective in pregnant women. However, people should be aware of the risk of rare blood clots with the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. Also, there is a growing body of research that shows that protective antibodies generated by the vaccine are passed on to the fetus. And in the meantime, the FDA is pulling in extra help to speed final approval of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine. The agency saying it is taking an all hands on deck approach. The three vaccines currently in use in the United States, Pfizer's, Moderna's and Johnson and Johnson's have emergency use authorization. Pfizer has filed for full approval in a process known as Biologics License Application or BLA. Health experts say full approval could give people more confidence in the vaccine and encourage them to get vaccinated. And now to Washington. Evictions are expected to ramp up in the coming days after the Biden administration allowed a federal moratorium to expire over the weekend. Congress not taking any action to extend that ban, meaning millions of renters are now at risk. Edwin Piti joins us from Washington with the latest on what could come next for all these individuals. Edwin. Andrea, the federal moratorium on evictions that was meant to help people stay in their homes during the pandemic has expired. The White House said that President Biden had his hands tied because of a ruling by the Supreme Court that didn't allow him to extend it unless it came from Congress. But Congress went on vacation and didn't act either. This is causing great concern among experts because the moratorium was helping to keep at least 2 million people in their homes during the pandemic. And this pandemic is far from over, especially with the cases of the Delta variant surging across the country. 
But not all members of Congress are staying silent. Three Democratic Congresswomen spent the night on the Capitol steps to call attention to the ban on evictions. Among them, Congresswoman Cory Bush, who knows what it's like to be evicted and homeless, she says to be angry that congressional leaders failed to address the issue before the House adjourned for its August recess. Take a listen. We are working to make sure that the people know that the House, that the Democratic House is standing up for them. We cannot have the majority and then put seven to 11 million people on the street. And so I'm laser focused on what's happening with um, um, on the House side, but also still having those conversations with Senator Warren. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said states and local governments should use the Emergency Rental Assistance Program to help residents. She refers to the $47 billion approved by Congress, but because of bureaucracy, only $3.5 billion have been distributed. We're talking about less than 10%. So if you are in need of assistance, please visit consumerfinance.gov for a list of the agencies by states where you can apply for the funds. Meanwhile, some states have extended their eviction moratorium to help their residents. Maryland extended it until August 16, Washington, D.C., August 26, Illinois, until August 30th, New York until September, California, October, and New Jersey all the way until January. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention put the eviction freeze into place last year in an attempt to limit the spread of COVID-19 and now that it has expired, some health officials fear evictions could result in a greater surge of the virus. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Edwin, for that report from D.C. And on Capitol Hill, senators worked through an unusual weekend session as negotiators and legislative staff haggled over last-minute changes to a 2,700-page infrastructure bill. Senators hoping to pass the $555 billion legislation before they leave at the end of the week for their scheduled August recess. I want to congratulate the members of the bipartisan group for their efforts. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announcing Sunday that a bipartisan group of senators has finalized the legislative text of the roughly $1 trillion infrastructure bill. We haven't done a large bipartisan bill of this nature in a long time. The massive bill is more than 2,700 pages and the result of months of negotiations. Among the major new investments, the bipartisan package is expected to provide $110 billion for roads and bridges, $39 billion for public transit, and $66 billion in the electric grid, among other things. I've enjoyed the time we've had together. This is a bill which is paid for and that gives the American people say they desperately need, and that is an upgrade in our infrastructure. The Senate will now consider additional amendments to the bipartisan framework. I believe the Senate can quickly process relevant amendments and pass this bill in a matter of days. Republican Senator Susan Collins says she believes at least 10 GOP senators will back the bill, which should be enough for it to clear the Senate. But paying for the package has been a challenge. Senators rejected ideas to raise revenue from a new gas tax or other streams. Instead, it's being financed from funding sources that include repurposing some $205 billion in untapped COVID-19 relief aid. 
Schumer said that once the bill was passed, he would move to a budget blueprint for an even more massive $3.5 trillion measure to fund Democratic priorities on climate change, health care and the economy as senators work to finish up legislative work before their summer break begins next week. The Senate's infrastructure legislation faces trouble in the House amid pushback from progressives who say it doesn't do enough to invest in public transportation, water, and tackle climate change. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has insisted that the larger measure must be passed before the House will even consider the bipartisan infrastructure deal. The Biden administration is suing Texas Governor Greg Abbott for having state troopers target vehicles suspected of carrying migrants. The lawsuit filed Friday alleges the governor is having troops following migrants who are released from border protection custody. Private organizations working with federal agencies have been transporting migrants who have gone through customs processing. Governor Abbott is blaming undocumented immigrants for the rise of COVID-19 cases in that state. The Biden administration argues the governor's executive order violates the U.S. Constitution, while in turn, Abbott is accusing the administration of creating a constitutional crisis that he says stems from its refusal to enforce America's immigration laws. All the while, the number of migrants attempting to make their way to the United States continues to grow. And more worrying, along various parts of the U.S.-Mexico border in Arizona, the number of children crossing over has seen a major rise. Rafael Rodriguez takes a look at the situation there. They slowly move forward in the darkness, guided by U.S. Border Patrol agents in the Yuma, Arizona sector. They're one of the many groups of migrants crossing the border to turn themselves in to U.S. immigration authorities. The arrival of these groups of up to 100 or more people have become a daily ritual in the Yuma and Tucson sectors, says a Border Patrol spokesperson. We've even seen children as young as just a few months old. And it's precisely children who are arriving in the largest numbers. Just a few days ago, a group of 197 migrants crossed through the Tucson sector. 147 of them were unaccompanied minors. We're seeing many girls without an adult. They're coming from Central America, crossing over the U.S.-Mexico border. The same thing is happening in the Yuma sector, cameras capturing a couple nights ago when close to 100 migrants turned themselves in to U.S. Border Patrol agents. The rate of crossing is still very high, according to this activist, who runs a center that provides support to migrants when they're released in Yuma. The numbers keep increasing. The reports about people crossing the border are higher than normal. Three weeks ago, Univision cameras had access to the center that Fernando Quiroz runs and saw their process of receiving migrants. Here, they even give them a COVID-19 test immediately upon arrival. Many of them come in sick with symptoms. But now, among those who are arriving, the number of COVID-19 infections has risen so much that as a precaution, our cameras were not allowed to enter the center once again. In the Tucson, Arizona sector, this fiscal year, more than 14,000 unaccompanied minors have been turned in. That's an increase of 190 percent compared to last year. It's a reality that's now quite common all across the Arizona border. Reported by Pedro Ultreras in Yuma, Arizona, Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And in response to the increase in gun violence across the country, a new national campaign 
is urging Congress to enact stricter gun control measures. The campaign called My Last Will collects testimonies of young people in the form of a mock last will and testament, underscoring the threat of gun violence to all Americans. Let's take a look. Hi, Tony Sky. Sam Parker. Ariel Emma. Taryn Naomi. Being of sound mind. But acting under the duress. And the possibility of my death due to gun violence. Direct that a music book and how I feel about music. My lifelong friend Puppy and all the dreams he would have inspired. My camera that my father passed down to me will be passed to my mother so she could guard with her life. My aunt's necklace and the inspiration to be kind. My pink bunny and all the times my dad would have made me feel special. My love for the ocean and my connection to my mom be mourned in the event of my death. The campaign launched by the organizations Change the Ref, Team Enough, and Area 23 plan to share the testimonies with members of Congress. And joining us now to talk about this is Manuel Oliver. He's a co-founder of Change the Ref and the father of Parkland victim Joaquin Oliver. Thank you so much for being with us, Manuel. And first of all, sorry for the loss of your son, Joaquin. Thank you. Thank you for, for having us here and uh, giving us a chance to share one more time our thoughts and, and kind of a solution to all these issues. What motivated these organizations and yours to launch this campaign? Just a clip of what we just saw on, on television. Well, um, from all that trifecta of people working here, um, I do have to say that um, Team Enough uh, uh, and Change the Rev, we are motivated by the fact that we really care and we really work on, on, on saving lives. Um, on my side, I lost my son Joaquin during the Portland shooting. And on, on Team Enough's side, these are uh, brave kids that are not um, accepting the reality of uh, our politicians uh, not being able to deal with the gun violence issue. The third member of this prefect is Area 23, which is uh, one of the most qualified, creative teams that I have ever met. And, and they were um, a big support to make this uh, get out there the way it came out. Where is Congress now on gun control legislation? Well, that's a good question. I wish there was a Congress member next to me so he could answer that. Um, I can tell you something. I lost my son more than three years ago, almost four. And since I lost Joaquin, more than 140,000 people have died because of gun violence. Uh, that should answer where is Congress now with this. I also understand that now we have more allies as members of Congress, but uh, we are stuck in a moment of debates and, and political um, on decisions in action that are actually not helping us move any forward. Speaking of being stuck, Democrats control the White House and Congress. So what do you think is the biggest roadblock to passing effective anti-gun violence measure? As you just said, so many thousands and thousands of people continue to die because of shootings. Well, um, I will blame that um, in, starting by the gun industry and, and, and how they've been able to manipulate uh, politicians on one side by even giving them money for their campaigns and 
and and and so they can get elected but also the way that have been lying to society uh the fact that we believe that we need a gun to be safe which is a unique american thought this is a first world country we can do better than that so there's a lot of pressure from um the gun industry uh, that is attacking all segments of society but here are we um bringing the truth bringing uh, an ironic way of because this is not this is not a acting in any way this is just ironic but it's a reality uh, the last will campaign is showing what happens every single day and actually what could happen to your kid if you don't become part of our movement. Now, your son, Joaquin, as we mentioned, was among the victims of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in 2018. How have these last few years been for you and your family? Terrible. I, um, I lost my son and my best friend. And the guy that will hang out with me every single day. Uh, but we decided to start a movement uh, based on Joaquin's um, intentions and principles, which is change the ref. We are uh, just as Joaquin, very rebel and disruptive, and, and, and we try to raise our voice. We, don't, we, we try to protect the, the, the weak from the injustice, um, social injustice that we leave every single day. So. In a way, we are we've been able to move on uh, by uh, found change the ref and work with other organizations. And on the other hand, we we every single day when we wake up, because we're doing this, we have to go through the whole memory and we, we refuse to pass the pitch. But listen, we're parents, so uh, it's not about how how we feel; it's about how the kids feel and how Joaquin felt that day. Well, once again, we are sorry for everything that has happened and for everything that you have to continue reliving. But I just tell you one thing, don't give up. And thank you for your work out there. Manuel Oliver, co-founder of the organization. I promise. Ref. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Today is a deadline to opt out of the next child tax credit payment. That payment set to go out on August 13th. The monthly payments are part of President Biden's coronavirus relief package passed earlier in the year. And here's how it works. Families with children under six years old are getting $3,600 a year. And those with children between six and 17 years old are receiving $3,000 a year. But families can opt to get the money in monthly installments or as a lump sum in April. Here to tell us about that choice is certified public accountant, Marianela Collado. She's the CEO of Tobias Financial Advisors. Marianela, welcome to You News. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Andrea. So Thank you very much. So should consider opting out of these monthly payments? Absolutely. So basically, people should look at whether there's a change in their income between 2020 and 2021. And if they expect that their income will be above the required threshold, 
then they may want to opt out because they don't want to be unpleasantly surprised by a big tax bill come April. Because if they weren't entitled to these uh, lump sum payments, then basically it's going to be trued up on their 2021 tax returns. So basically, are these payments considered income that parents will have to then pay taxes on, like you just said, receive that, that statement, that bill? So it's not necessarily income. This is an advance payment that basically would have to be paid back when you file your return because you weren't entitled to that uh, that higher payment. And the threshold is for those who are filing single, if they expect their income to exceed 75000 then they may want to just opt out. And for those who are married filing joint, that threshold is 150000 um, So again, this is just an advance payment. If they opt out and later discover that they're eligible, then they'll just get that payment when they file their 2021 tax return. So again, it's just the timing issue. So if you're not sure, you're better off uh, opting out and then getting that additional tax credit when you file your uh, 2021 tax return. So if someone listening to us now says, you know, I'd rather opt out of these monthly payments, are they forgoing the cash? Now, if they're entitled to it, they will receive it when they file their 2021 tax return. But you bring up a really good point, Andrea, because this gives people an opportunity to think about ways to be able to qualify. So maybe that's contributing more to their 401k so they can reduce their taxable income. So there are things that they can be doing between now and the end of 2021 to ensure that they actually are eligible. And this is when they should speak to their certified public accountant to figure out what little maneuvers they can do between now and December 31st to qualify for those payments. Now, if someone does want to opt out, what steps should they take? How should they go about it online? Tell their accountant. So there is a website at the IRS uh, where you can go in there and let them know that you would like to opt out. If you visit the www.irs.gov, you'll see there's a link where you can either And another reason to visit the the website is maybe you didn't file and you're eligible. So you can go on there and let the website know where payments should come. So there's a whole platform available for those who just want to go ahead and browse around the IRS website, either opt out or if they're eligible but didn't file, they have to submit their direct payment information to be able to get those monthly payments. And what happens if you happen to miss today's deadline? Is it too late? Uh, They can always go in there at any point before the end of the year and choose to opt out. So maybe they got two payments um, and so they won't be eligible. So they'll just have to pay that back when they file their tax return. So if they received it and they're sure they won't they won't qualify, they want to make sure they don't spend the money uh, because they'll have to pay it back. Well, thank you so much for all these uh, tips. Very, very useful for our viewers. Marianela Collado, CPA in Florida. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.